Buried Treasure, a Dayton Pirate podcast. I'll let you introduce yourself. Steve Zug, superintendent, yeah, for three years here in Dayton and taught at the high school for uh, five years from 95 through 2000. High school math. High school math here. And where were you between 2000 and 2009? Is 2019 when you came on as superintendent? Yeah, so I went from here to uh, VP and, well, I came, came back in 2020, right during the pandemic. Oh, okay. I think the pandemic started six days after I accepted the superintendent. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, but I left here and went to Philomath and was VP there for three years. And then went to Sherwood and was there for uh, 10 years, uh, seven in the high school as a VP, and then three at the district office. And then I was superintendent in Sheridan for uh, seven years before I came to, back right. to Dayton in 2020. That's right. And my, my first time um, f- being familiar with you was when I hired Robin Van Buren mm-hmm. at, at McMinnville High School yes. as assistant mm-hmm. principal. I snagged her out from under you in yes. Sheridan, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So... Um, yeah, so talk to first of all talk to us about um how you're doing. So, cuz cuz I came in in July and you started retirement, right? Yeah, I I'm doing great. I feel better probably than I have in years. I had the hip replacement surgery in February and those who may have seen me around or know that I walked with a cane for a good year, maybe a year and a half, uh and was in a lot of pain. Mm. Uh, and that is all gone. I'm back to Sweet. back to the gym and going. To, I go to the gym five days a week every morning, oh, nice. and uh, just feel like I said, feel better than I have in uh, several years. Yeah. Do you think uh, we get personal here, so you can cut it out if you want? But do you think that the feeling better is also stress related? Because the the gigs you've had, the VPs and the district office and the superintendents like aren't, aren't small potatoes necessarily for stress. Yeah, I, I think I think somewhat it is that, um, but also I'm if I'm not stressing about something at work, I'm stressing about <laughs> something at home, like you know that little project that needs to be done. Like today, I finally, uh, you know, took care of hanging up a drape cord that's been bugging me for a while. But uh. that stuff stresses me out <laughs> as well. So it's stress. I think is something you self-impose, and and I self-impose it on myself a lot. Gotcha. Whether it's you know trying to get the budget correct or. Mm-hmm. You know, building a flower box at home and wanting to make sure it's. You've got a pretty good poker face. It seems like was like it's. I think it's hard to read that you're stressed out, which is good for. What I heard about you as a superintendent is you provided stability to the district. Yeah, I never saw Steve worried. Yeah, I was gonna say he doesn't look like he's a. You don't. You don't wear it. The worry on your face. I I think people who know me would would say there are tells. Yeah. Um, That that if you played that they play poker with me, there are tells. Um, (laughs) But. yeah, I I try to try to remain calm, and, and I do um, that in in a in most situations. Probably where uh, a different personality comes <laughs> out with me is if you go to a, a Oregon State football game yeah, with me. Okay. I've had several people comment with me that have sat with <laughs> me that like you're not really the same person when you're in the stands, and that is mm-hmm. where I tend to let it go. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so. Are you doing a lot of, were you doing a lot of that in the fall? Or yeah, we've had, we've had season tickets. Yeah. And we went to a couple of road games this year. So now that your uh, hips better and you, what are the hobbies that you have in retirement? Um, well, gardening, just working on our property. Um, you know, we have a couple acres here in the area and uh, just working on, on that. 
um, trying to find properties. And I did promise myself I wouldn't do anything for six months work related mm-hmm. in, in retirement. And that's almost up. And so, so we've got you on the podcast. I'm starting to start thinking, <laughs> starting to start thinking about what, you know, what next steps are, there are, but I don't definitely don't want to go back to work full time mm-hmm. in a long-term position. Yeah. Yeah. Something a little slower pace than your last one, maybe. Yeah. Or, or, you know, I've, I'm starting to check out like the, you know, the possibility of an interim superintendent someplace, oh, yeah. but mm. short term, you yeah. know, the three to six months yeah. go in yeah. and help a district by filling in and, mm-hmm. you know, providing that stability to get them yeah. until they mm-hmm. can hire the next person. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I spoke for you, but like I said, it's what I've heard that um, there was uh, some turmoil and that when you came in, it provided the stability of the district. Um, needed. What would you say is the legacy that you left when you retired from the superintendency here? I hope. It, I hope it was that. I hope it was helping with the transition um, through a, a difficult time and and helping uh, the district get through the pandemic, which was just terrible. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, so hopefully that was it. Just helping with that transition time. Yeah. Uh, there were so many decisions that needed to be made. Um, during the pandemic and afterwards with bond stuff, is there a process that you use to, to help you navigate the situation? I think, well, one is trying to get as much opinion as I can from people. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the board, you know, what, what does the board want? What does the board want to do? What are our goals as a district? What, what's the community? But I think most importantly is what's going to be best in the long runs for our students and our staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That has to be what, what makes your what makes the decision yeah is that has to drive it it what and sometimes and sometimes what's going to be best in the long run for students and staff is a difficult choice mm-hmm. not yeah. always a popular and choice. it's not and it's not always popular yeah right I, I believe in that saying of what's right is not always popular and what's popular is not always right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the buck yeah. stops with you so you get yeah. to own the yeah. unpopular decisions yeah no matter what yeah. Yeah. we were talking before john pushed play about how little training you actually have in your admin program anyone has uh, that prepares them uh, for or doesn't prepare them for the superintendency. Talk about, if you don't mind, um, and I'm taking advantage, obviously, of you being in the same room as me because it's helpful to, to talk to you because I'm brand new to the superintendency, but the, the range of roles and responsibilities a superintendent and decision-making a superintendent might have to face uh, that don't fall within the scope of an education program. Oh, there are so many. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to nail it down, especially when you're in a small uh, district, a small community mm-hmm. like Dayton. I, you know, I was at Sheridan before this. Uh, when I went to Sheridan, uh, there's a, there's a uh, rotary club in Sheridan, and so the superintendent is automatically right. a part of that, which gets you then involved in setting up community events mm-hmm. like Sheridan days and yeah you know, and, and I managed to somehow get myself in charge of that one year that was <laughs> like wow okay what I don't I have no idea how to do that kind of thing um, event management yeah, yeah it's event management it's 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 all of those things it's it's helping you know community members with lots of different issues that they mm-hmm. might have some that involve the school some that don't mm-hmm. um, it's just very little of it uh, like we were talking about especially in, in our roles here where we can't we don't have people, a lot of people to do uh, those day-to-day things. Uh, so little of our time really does, unfortunately, uh, end up being able to be spent on teaching and learning because yeah. there's just 
so much else that that goes on in a district on a day to day. Right. You know, like trying to figure out, you know, what's the best roof shingle color. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the things you have to yeah. make in those, the decisions you have to make in the, in those are just like, okay, yeah. who can I, who can I rely on, like to right. pick out the paint color for the library right. because it's. You know, oh, my I'd wife would say, don't let him colors. do that because that's not going to do that. <laughs> so you got to find somebody, right? Yeah. You got to find somebody mm-hmm. who, who will be good at that and won't be, you know, too wild yeah. and, and get a committee together and, and do that stuff. But it's just all of those things. Yeah. Um, and when you say you talked about in a small district wearing so many hats, I, I was commiserating um, with Robin and all the ODE reporting, for example. You have the same amount of reports as a large district absolutely. has that are due. And yet you're the person who does them all versus having 10 different people in charge of reporting um, who each oversee a various, you know, various programs. So the, the, the number of kids doesn't necessarily reflect the scope of work. In some ways, the fewer kids in a district, the more work you end up taking on in your role because yeah. you have to have multiple. I always think of it as like I was dealing with Synergy, a new student information system we're moving to, and I see it as a cost of entry. So in order to get this feature, you have to pay this base amount. Or in order to get these reports, then you have to turn in these base reports, but it affects everybody. Mm-hmm. But bigger districts might have more people that can fill yeah, that, that role. And we're like, um, how about you do that? And, you know, yeah, there's multiple roles. lanes in a big district, but the right hand doesn't always talk to the left hand right. well. So the yeah. nice thing about a small district is like, well, if you're seeing overseeing EL and SPED and 504s, you get pretty mm-hmm. good at, you know, Figuring out systems that can work for students who may need some extra supports, um, you know, versus a different administrator overseeing each of those mm-hmm. different areas. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, that's a it's a good point. You know that Dayton has as many ODE reports mm-hmm. as Portland Public. Yeah. the number of reports are exactly the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but the number of people carrying them out is really yeah. one or two versus a few hundred. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and it. So just the amount of work is, is crazy and trying mm-hmm. to comply with all of the requirements, right. which are changing all the time. Right. And every time the legislature meets, they come up with new requirements. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's definitely been um, interesting to navigate. And what I'm finding is that the role of superintendent in a smaller district feels more similar to me to the role of high school principal in a big district than it does superintendent in a big district. Not mm. that I'm running a building, right? Or that I'm, um, you know, supervising the day-to-day things, but I do feel like I'm able to be more involved in the day-to-day mm-hmm. activities of buildings because mm-hmm. there's two, yeah, you know, right. and they're across the street. Yep. And yeah, I have to be uh, wearing some extra hats. So I get to wear, a, you know, the SPED admin hat and I, and so that allows me to kind of get in the weeds of the work a little bit well, more. Well, in smaller districts, if you have an administrator out, like we've had, mm-hmm. then someone from the district office steps yeah. in. It's yep. like, well, who else is going to do that? Like, right. Who else has an admin degree? <laughs> next, right. next person up. Yeah, yeah, right. for sure. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's just um, there's fewer layers, so you feel less removed, you know, so... That could be, or it could just be that I'm overstepping because I'm familiar with high school principal roles, so I just do whatever jobs I know how to do. Yeah, no, I, I, that's one of the reasons that I chose to spend my career in small districts. Um, you know, I started my career in Jordan Valley. We had about seventy-five kids, grades uh, six through twelve. Oh, wow. Really liked mm-hmm. that. You get to do everything. You get to I was never once well. asked to drive the bus, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. But, uh, 
got to do everything else uh, while there. Only math teacher, you know, grades uh, seven through twelve, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, but class size was great. Yeah, I had four kids in a in a trig class, and that was great. And then coming here, a small school here, Philomath was pretty small. When I went to Sherwood, it was small, but it mm. grew quickly. Mm-hmm. And then I decided it was just getting to be too much, and I wanted yeah. out. And uh, talk about the differences. Let's just take Dayton and Sherwood, for example. Not the differences between dis- districts, but the differences between how the job feels and what the work is like. First of what I like about small districts is the number of hats you get to wear. Mm-hmm. I like to be to switch tasks. I liked when I was teaching to have six different preps. Mm-hmm. I know that's not yeah you know that's not for everybody, uh, but I never once wanted to have uh, you know teach six classes of algebra. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I never wanted to do that. That yeah. was not something I wanted to do. Um, and as as I got into larger districts, as, Sher- as Sherwood became larger, and I moved into the district office your job becomes much more specialized mm-hmm. and you're just really doing smaller and smaller right. you're in things. A lane. There's, there's, a, there's plenty mm-hmm. to do. It's not that there's it's a narrow lane, but it's, yeah, but it's just very narrow and, and you don't get much variety and you don't get to work with a lot of mm-hmm. different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things just become very narrow. And, and I think you lose sight of the big picture Yep. when that happens. Yep. No, I would, I would agree. I am surprised how I, I don't I wouldn't say I'm surprised, but I guess I'm pleasantly I'm I'm excited for how how much it seems to fit what my, I hope the um, role of superintendent could be or would be. I think sometimes it's got to be frustrating for staff, and I wonder how. I mean, I don't know the extent to which you're paying attention <laughs> to what's happening in the district, but I would. It would be frustrating for me if I was in your role, where you see things that you've built and created, and then someone new steps in and. Like for myself, I have to almost rebuild things to understand them, right? So like Mm -hmm. take the strategic plan, for instance. Everyone's working on this plan. It exists. I should get this binder and follow this plan. But I have, like the way my brain works, I have to kind of, I want to talk to the community too and the staff too, the work you've already done. And, you know, and most likely it's all going to align with what was already in place. But how does that feel when you leave somewhere and you see work, some of it just like, picking up right where you left off the baton was handed off and it's smooth sailing and other of it you're like wait don't go down that road i've been down that road we've already did that work there's a hurdle upcoming yeah i for me personally i it doesn't bother me i because i i, I would be the same way i've got to to pick up the plan that somebody else has created and carry it forward you know that's great but you've still got to make it your own right you still and you're right it's not going to change drastically in all likelihood yeah if the needs of the kids were identified correctly mm-hmm. those are still going to be yeah. the needs this year the same as they were last year right um basically so but you do have to make it your own and, and you just have to get your staff buy-in and mm-hmm. and and do you have staff turnover every year as well mm-hmm. um, yeah so it's so, important so that, for them to be a part of the process yeah, every year to get that buy-in mm-hmm. otherwise they don't otherwise there's just a, there's a lot of questions yeah and it's supposed to be a living document right it, yeah. it needs to be updated Probably ideally not every year, but mm-hmm. every few years it, that process needs to be repeated and mm-hmm. see what have we accomplished and what, right. what new things have popped up that need to be done. Right. One of the things that um, we're working on is creating a portrait of a Dayton graduate, which is like unpacking in, a, in, in addition to what ODE says is important that students are able to do and know when they cross the stage what is that matters most to us. And then from there, looking at are there ways that we can measure and, and make that central to the curricula, K-12 curriculum? Um, 
And so we came up with some things over the course of the semester, and we're going to keep honing in on them. Um, things such as like resilience is important to the staff, optimism, um, work ethic is really important, uh, that kind of curiosity or lifelong learning. I'm not going to have them all off the top of my head, but having been in so many districts and having this long career in education, what do you feel like are the skills or dispositions or mindsets of kids that, that allow, that most leverage success in school and then when they graduate as well? Well, first, I'd like to say I'm, I'm excited that you're doing that. That was oh. one of the things I wished I'd, we'd gotten to when There's I There's a little pandemic issue happening. That's about construction stuff. We were headed that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I'm excited that you're doing that. I, you know, for me, I want kids to graduate with and be lifelong learners, mm-hmm. right? To be curious, to understand that, that things change and that we all need to learn new skills and new tasks. Having graduated high school in 82, there's so many parts of my life yeah. that exist now that... Couldn't predict in school. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. no way to predict yeah. them, and there was no way for anybody to teach me those mm-hmm. skills except for the skill of being able to yeah. learn something new, yep. being yes. curious. How to think, yes. not what to think. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. but to just be accepting, to, to move on, mm-hmm. to, you know, to learn that task, to learn that skill, and to not be afraid to say, hey, I don't know it. And the mm-hmm. other thing is to be happy. Yeah. To help yourself be happy. and, and to know that you're in charge of your own happiness, and if you're dependent on other people to make you happy, mm-hmm. it's Some not going to happen of, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That no, that's good. Um, are you familiar at all with districts who put things like that on a transcript? Put some kind of, I mean, and I'm I'm not suggesting John and I are asking <laughs> these questions because we're not trying to suggest anything. But if you say something's important and central to what your district values but then it just lives on paper somewhere or on a poster in the hall Mm -hmm. it's not going to be as likely to be really ingrained in the fabric of the education on the day-to-day minute-by-minute basis you know what i mean because it will take a backseat to the things that we are measuring every week in schools so that i don't know that anyone in the country has an answer so if you have one that'd be amazing (laughs) but have you heard of districts that Find a way to make those values central too. I have not in a practical heard, way. I have not heard of districts doing that. Uh, one of the things that came to mind as you were talking about that and describing it was: is there a way you could put in the notes? You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna grade somebody based on yeah, you know how much how well, how great of a <laughs> optimist they are, how happy they are. Mm-hmm. But you could say, uh, you know, Dayton High School graduates have learned. Mm-hmm these skills and just yeah. list off those traits that you want yeah that you hope that they have and that and that would provide some meaning and put it out there yeah. publicly we prov- we had talked about some i think there's some districts that do like badges and i know you can get on your diploma like in a district you can get a seal of literacy or things oh. that indicate that you've got a career pathway it makes me wonder if it would live on a diploma or on a transcript somewhere like you can definitely ass- to show mastery ass- of uh, resiliency, something like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. yeah. You can uh, you can assess with rubrics K twelve that could be differentiated per developmental level, right? Like obviously optimism. You're not assessing the mood, but there are behaviors associated with someone who is trying to take mm. ownership of their happiness, right? And you can ass- you like create rubrics around those behaviors. And I think about like what you're really talking about is employability skills in addition to you know the content uh knowledge and so even if those classes or those rubrics just lived in electives and cte courses or 
if they lived in all courses K-12, I mean, that'd be a game changer, I think, for kids' uh, introspection and, and reflection on really the things that are going to make them happy in life and help get them, you know, be successful in the workforce someday. But I just, it just makes me wonder, like I'm trying to crowdsource ideas because I do think that everyone says we value these things, but then we just live in the system of education that's existed for hundreds of years and that engine keeps turning. Despite- I, keep, I keep going back to that early, early report card of all those skills that we see down below. Elementary does a great job. They do a great job of, of that. that. Like, I, yeah. don't, I don't know why we can't adapt that, like mm-hmm. what we're talking about for a high school level. Yeah. But again, that's the elementary brain. No, I, I really do think there's a lot. There's a lot we can learn from elementary. Um, I've had the chance to work at both levels in my career. And um, elementary schools were the original proficiency graders. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, yeah, you have a, a check plus or a minus or a plus <laughs> on your reading level and you have it on your behavior. And, yeah. you know, then you get to high school, and you get this convoluted like algorithm that you're averaging out tests and weighting things differently. And half of it's behavior because it's about, you know, whether you came on time or turned in an assignment. And then it gets real convoluted. Like, does that see in chemistry, uh, what does that tell a parent or a student that they have learned when you're looking at that report card? So that C in chemistry, um, if I'm a parent and I'm looking at it, I don't know if that means you're struggling to understand the concepts. I don't know if that means you're not doing your homework. I don't know if that means, you know what I mean, you're misbehaving. It's hard to tell what that means. Whereas if I'm getting a fourth grade and looking at science on the report card, if it says, um, do you do letter grades or number grades? Or number grades. So if you do a one, four, two, three, four. If you do a, if you do a three, on you know, and then under science, do you list the units or the skills? Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you do a three on, like, let's say, forming a hypothesis, I'm, that's probably not a skill, but it tells me exactly what you can and can't do mm-hmm. in science yeah, as a degree. student or a teacher. So we always say, oh, master grading is so impossible, or it's elementaries have it math. <laughs> mastery yeah. grading and they don't compromise the the student behaviors to do it they list them too There's the next no thing we're going to talk about though is the elementary report card by formatting or otherwise is four pages long right right <laughs> so it's like oh we need to consider that but i i i love how they have it because then that that proficiency or whatever mm-hmm. grading does list out those skills right and i'm like that's what we need for whether it's the employability skills or otherwise right and I mean, a report card is for reporting and it kind of should be long if you're trying to encapsulate a student's development, a human development, well, like their development like, of like the a course full of three a quarters year. of the pages, comments, and none of them are yeah, used. Yeah, so I gotcha. Like, we, we've got room to fill. What you, sorry, you're just sitting there smiling, Steve. This is your interview. <laughs> like, no, no I, I, I think that's right. I think that, you know, report cards should be, should, should give people good information mm-hmm. about what they're doing. And, and you're right. You know, at the high school level, we give A, B, Cs, you know, and it's 90, 80, 70, mm-hmm. whoever picked those percentages <laughs> right. for, for whatever reason, they were picked out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, I, don't, You've I, got don't, 50. I don't know of any research that backs those percentages up, really. But, uh, you know, and, and it, supposedly it's supposed to reflect your learning, but I think that we can do a better job of communicating what students' strengths and weaknesses are. And I think that we can help students um, understand where they are and what they can do to improve much better. You know, as a, as a teacher, I've always got the question of, well, what do I need to do to get an A? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to study harder and yeah. perform better on the test. Yeah. Um, you need to learn the material. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, as a teacher, you do have some more information you can give them about 
well, you you know, you need to work on solving two-step equations or, mm-hmm. you know, balancing this side of the equation with the other, the different skills that kids have to learn. But the report card doesn't really yep. communicate any of that to parents. And, and parents just want, you know, their child to get the best grade they can. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, th- so it, it, to me, it just becomes about chasing points and not about exactly. learning. Yeah, but, and we need, mm-hmm. to focus, right. we need to focus it back on learning. Students yep. really need to understand where they are you know, I'll talk about math, but where they are in math and, and what they need to work mm-hmm. on to improve, um, just like you would if, if you were an athlete, you know, play a basketball player or whatever, what mm-hmm. skills, what am I good at at basketball right. and what feedback. skills do I need to work yeah, on? Yeah, not the grade that is um, really going to leverage their growth. Yeah. How do yeah. I get that next? Yeah, I, I, next I would step. love to pick your brain as a math guy on, you know, the best way to measure and accurately reflect student growth and proficiency. It's interesting. I, um, there's a movement that kind of took place when I was in McMinnville and it was started as a think tank with teachers and students on how grades can best reflect learning. If you put learning at the center of what grades are supposed to report on versus playing the game of school, which right now, if you play the game of school, in some cases you can get a good grade without learning. If you already know, like for instance, if you already know the material, right. Then, then that's, or if you turn in enough extra credit, but never, Unit one, you bombed and you never went back and learned anything in it. But at the end of the semester, I turn in a poster and some busy work and I get some extra credit and I can bump my grade up. That's playing the game of school, right? Mm -hmm. It's not learning. And so these teachers and students got together and devised a system by which, um, and they tried to take as many numbers out of it just to mess with their own brain so they wouldn't accidentally slide back into the grading kind of situation. But they put all the skills essentially across the top of a spreadsheet and the student names across the left side of the... Like a checkbox type type deal? Well, sort of. So then their students are self-assessing on each skill after it's been learned, and the teacher conferences with them and gives them feedback based on what they've seen, and then they're kind of color coding. So Mm -hmm. you can actually see each student's name. If the bunch of red, they haven't mastered all these skills, or if it's yellow, they're almost there, and green, they've mastered it, right? And then they have... They, like, set growth goals for themselves, so Mm -hmm. they self-assess in whether they've mastered the skill, they self-assess in how much they've grown. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, grown, the how much they've grown is also tied to like a work ethic piece, right? And so then at every certain checkpoint, whether it's every three weeks or whatever the grading period is, the student and te- teacher agree on, um, based on all the skills they've mastered and the growth they've made and the work ethic they've put in, uh, you know, what, what grade would be associated with that. And then they have next to the A, B, C, what mm-hmm. would qualify it takes a lot of time um because so much of it is conversations with students but what both students and teachers said is there's no workaround for the learning like you can't do and so many teachers have to spend all this time at the end of a semester bartering with students right students come to you about like hey how do i get an a and you're like would you care sooner than this because now i've got 16 <laughs> students at my door and now you're trying to appease parents and students so you're throwing extra credit it's all this work for them but like you said, to get it, you need to learn it. So look, you're still red in these. What are you going to do to show yeah. me that you can, you know? And I think whatever system you create has to be smart. Um, you know, you talked about, so I taught math, so I, I could be completely wrong here. But in, in science, you might have, you know, chapter one can have a, a skill yeah. that is very different than sure. skill, than a skill in chapter two. Mm-hmm. But in math, it, it kind of builds on each other. Yeah. Like, you know, in algebra, you might 
spend the first part of the year learning how to solve one step mm-hmm. equations. And a student might not be very good at that when you right. come to the end of that. But later, you're learning, you're solving two step equations. Mm-hmm. And if that student becomes proficient at solving two step equations, right. they don't need to go back and show me they can solve one step right. equations because they have to do that to solve a two step right. equation. So the system has to be smart enough. And, and, and I share that because I think it was March of my senior year in high school. And granted, I graduated in 82. And in, and in school, hard to believe, I know, I, I was a nerd. I took, <laughs> you know, five years of math. I took mm-hmm. five years of science. And I remember I, was, I, was taken, I had taken a programming class. I was in a trigonometry class. And I got called to the counseling center. And I was like, what is this about? And, and the counselor sat down and said, well, you have to show us. There's a proficiency you haven't done yet. And, and mining where I was. And it was, I had to calculate. I had to prove I could calculate gas mileage for a car, right? Like if you drove this many miles, <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> look at where I am. Right. Look at what, I, did you not just look? <laughs> yeah. Was not a, an A in advanced algebra good enough to tell you I can calculate the the gas mileage for a car? Right. Yeah. That somehow I have to There's demonstrate that there. differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I just thought that was weird. Yeah. And, that, and so I would just say that we're careful about that and, and not go back and make kids prove things sure. that, that yeah. Yeah. clearly they can do. One of, one of the things that's interesting to me when you're talking is, um, and I sent um, in the Monday message, and I don't know if I, my ramblings made any sense to people, but when you were, were the eight math, the common core, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what position you're in when the eight mathematical practices came about. So like there's all this, the skills and concepts that you've got that uh, students need to get, no, K through 12. But then there's also eight mathematical practices that are the same, kindergarten through 12th grade, that are more math behaviors. So persistence in solving problems, um, being uh, precise, like checking and double checking your work, being able to explain your thinking and communicate effectively. Like, and I've always wondered if you gave feedback and assessed on those skills, would that leverage their understanding of the math content more or less than if you gave feedback and solely assessed it. Not that it has to be one or the other, but it just makes me, it'd be interesting to do a study on which one leverages the most mathematics growth, growth, the, the feedback mm-hmm. and assessment on the concepts that change each unit or the feedback and assessment on the mathematical thinking and skills that you have to possess to be a mathematician who... What are your thoughts as a former math teacher? I think that's a different way of looking at it. Yeah, I, I, so, I like to bring that. So, so in math, you know, in, in my career in math, there's kind of the, the skill-focused approach where, you know, can a student solve a one-step equation? Mm-hmm. And, and, but, and then the other part is, is the mathematical practices part. Does the student understand what they're doing right. when they're solving a one-step yes. equation? Right. Yes, they can solve a one-step mm-hmm. equation, but do they have any idea what right. that means? Right. Where that's... Are they just plug and play like a where machine? Where that pertains to, to life. And, and I've had students that can, that can do both. I've mm-hmm. had students that can only... Right? The, the big thing is if I just turn the equation around, if instead of x plus 8 equals 1 mm-hmm. equals 9... If I write nine equals x plus eight, can they still solve that? Because mm-hmm. there yeah. are some kids who, if they've always, they if they've the, always seen it written yeah. on the variable on the left, yeah. if you suddenly put the variable on the right, they don't know what to do. Yeah, because they don't Even understand what the equation right. even they don't symbolizes what the, in the first place. Right. They yeah. don't understand. What they're doing is they're subtracting mm-hmm. eight mm-hmm. to balance the equations. Yeah. 
Um, By the way, look at us two superintendents talking about teaching and learning. John, (laughs) I'm trying to to find some schema where I can wrap my head around this. I'm like, (laughs) schema-wise, I'm thinking teaching and reading. Inherent in reading is the reason for doing it in the first place. So when you're reading, there's something you're reading about, unless you're doing dibbles, there's something you're reading about (laughs) that that contextualizes the skill of reading, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm reading about, um, you know, how to put together a table. And there's a purpose inherent in the reading. Right. The hard part about math is you're learning how to do it before you're oftentimes before you're learning why to do it. So yes. I was in advanced math and my, all my life and I quit sophomore year after a trig because I was like, I don't know what the heck any of that was yeah. for. <laughs> like, I don't know. And well, to this day, I um, like it, unless it's just basic math, I struggle with knowing how to apply any kind of formula. To anything because I never knew what the purpose was. It wasn't, I told you this in the last podcast with the Larry and Craig, it wasn't until I taught math with those chess pieces mm-hmm. and you're balancing an actual scale, right? That I realized, oh, I, I, I get it. We're just, bal- mm-hmm. we're just, yeah, we're trying to solve for an unknown. But, and, and that can be said as many times as a teacher wants to say it, but mm-hmm. unless you physically or really have to use it for a purpose outside mm-hmm. of getting an A on a paper. Yeah. It's real hard for it to stick in your long-term memory or to have any kind of practical motivation to do it well. If I had a <laughs> great memory, I'd, I'd recall what Mitch told us last week of learning to do um, and doing to learn. Yeah. Because that's very similar to what we're saying now. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're learning to do it, but why? Yep. And then now, and when you get now we're doing it to learn it. Really advanced math. It's really hard to make it applicable to students. To I mean, like stats can be applicable, right? There's certain things that you could... That's when I got really interested in my doctorate, where I had to prove that I was right using numbers. Then I was right. like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. Now <laughs> I can play this math game. Now but before that, that, I was like, what is the point? And that's why uh, the, the, best research, the research on best math curriculums is you start with a problem that students don't know how to solve. You let them grapple with it. And then you give them, here's the algorithm. Here's the formula. Yeah. So they understand. A lot of times they'll figure out their own way to solve yeah. it. Mm-hmm. It may not be... Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, yeah. totally, <laughs> yeah. totally correct. Or the steps may not be great, but but they might solve it. Um, I think math comes with its own own social context as well, right? Kids walk into a, a math classroom and they'll tell you they're not good at math. Their yeah. parents weren't good at math. They don't have the math gene, whatever that mm-hmm. is. Um, you know, and 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 it's always bugged me as a math teacher that I, I, I dealt with a lot of, st- I had one student my first couple of years of teaching that would cry mm. in every math test. Mm-hmm. She was so anxious about it. Um, and uh, she would just cry and, and, and people are intimidated by it. And to me, it's, it's really sad because I like math. I think it's, you know, I had good math teachers, you know, in, in middle school that really made me love math. And that's why I, I do that. Um, but it, it, it makes me sad. And, you know, to, to tell somebody you're a high school math teacher, people will tell you, oh, that kind of ends the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't want to, they don't want to talk. But but it's also amazing to me how easily people will admit that they can't do math or Mm -hmm. they aren't good at it. Mm -hmm. And that I would never, I, I can't imagine my wife was an English teacher. I can't imagine her ever running into somebody who would just flat out tell her, yeah. oh, I can't read. Literacy is not my jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that it's, yeah. And to me, it's sad that it's, 
it's socially acceptable mm-hmm. for kids for just anybody to say hey i'm you know that that's mm-hmm. just as that's more yeah. acceptable than not being able to read not that those people should be put down but right that we shouldn't be so dismissive about mm-hmm. not being good at math right and and being being good at math and remembering how to do things are two different things yeah like i can't remember the formulas that were used in some algebraic equations but I have the brain that can do mathematical thinking. I can make sense of complex problems yes. and find the formula yeah. that I need if right. I need. And, yeah. And I really think that's what we're missing. Yeah. In 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 high school, I think that's what we're missing is is teaching kids how to how to think mathematically and what that means. Mm-hmm. I think that where we're wrong and you know, for you math teachers out there that might listen to this podcast, <laughs> you're gonna think, oh, he's gone off the deep end. But um <laughs> You can say it. Now. I, I I think we're and when we ask every every student to take algebra two, advanced algebra, trigonometry, that that we're missing that boat. Yeah, well, that the state would agree because we should we should be teaching kids. Uh, you know, there are some great books out there, like a, a a statistician watches the news or reads the newspaper. I can't remember one of mm-hmm. those two titles. You know, Flatland that that get p- kids to think. Mm-hmm. If you read those, Enumeracy is another great book. Uh, it, it teaches kids how, why you think about it, why it's right. important. Where math comes into play in society. You know, and why yeah, and, yeah, and just the kind of how you can understand math so that when you, you, you look at numbers a little bit critically mm-hmm. and when, you know, somebody tries to sell you something, mm-hmm. you, you, you just you kind of go, wait a minute, that doesn't really right. make sense. Right. That mm-hmm. Those numbers don't yep. make sense. You know, and understanding how statistics works, you know, mm-hmm. that because there's a 50% chance of rain on Saturday yeah. and there's a 50% chance of rain on Sunday, that doesn't mean there's a 100% right. chance of rain on the weekend. Right. So you don't add those. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can show you how yeah. that goes. Um, and math, math uh, can help you understand the society and the world and the universe as much as sociology and history can. Like, I'm just thinking of certain podcasts like Freakonomics and different mm-hmm. Different ways that you can run correlations, you know, between laws that have been passed and how many criminals are in our, you know, well, prisons. Math, math is everywhere. Twenty years later, and I, I think mm-hmm. our job as educators is to prove and show that math is in almost everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Speed limit, like lots of things that we do involve math. Grocery shopping, like it's all math, and you do it without thinking. Yeah, most of the, you know, yeah. people will say, "Oh, I've never applied algebra." Yes, you have. Yeah, you just never thought about yeah. it as algebra. Right. You just you've, you've never thought about it, and you didn't in your mind. You didn't say, "Oh, this is a two x plus one <clears> equals <throat> five kind of a thing." Where I need to figure out how much you know right. that box of candy is, but I'm going to give my right. friend a dollar. And so now I'm going to go down a psychology rabbit hole with you, because why not? So you were a math teacher, I was an elementary teacher, but I would say I am probably someone who considers myself more apt in the humanities. How do you think that shows up in your leadership style? Like your leadership style, maybe versus mine, or how does that way of thinking or your interest in math show up in your professional life? Uh, you know, I think for me, everything I approach everything, try to approach everything through logic. Yeah, through logic, and how does it make sense? What makes sense? Yeah. Try not to be emotional about mm-hmm. things, which can make people feel think that you're cold. Yeah. Sure. Think that I'm cold about something or I don't yeah. care. Right. When in fact I care a great deal. Right. But to me, to me in those situations where um, you know, something critical happens, you need to make a decision quickly. That is where really I, I think 
as a skill, I can shut down yeah. the emotional side right. and you not can react turn to that a instantly. Gray human issue into a black and white logic yeah, and, problem. And think, yeah. okay, I have to solve this issue. Mm-hmm. So logically, how do I solve this mm-hmm. issue? Sure. Versus and and it's amazing. Sometimes with very small things, I don't do that, right? Yeah. Like, you know, a, a faucet can break, and and it's easy. Do I panic? Right. Mm-hmm. And start screaming for help, or do I figure out, try to figure out quickly how to shut the water right. off? Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. I, it, those are that's kind of where you are, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of how I I see it. And so I always try to go to the logic side of mm-hmm. okay, I need to solve the problem first, mm-hmm. and then I'll worry about the emotional mm-hmm. side of what Did damage you, has happened that I need to take care of. The parts of your job that you enjoyed most were they the more black and white parts, or not saying easy, but like budget, uh, bond. Were those enjoyable parts to so you? So I don't have Steve's face on this podcast right now. <laughs> but that was, was a like, wonderful heck look. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say those were enjoyable. For me, the, the enjoyable part of, of being involved in education is watching kids. Yeah. You know, whether it's learning, uh, you know, going to, into, the, into an elementary classroom and, and watching kids yeah. um, recite the alphabet and seeing kids light up when they kind of get it. Right. Or, uh, you know, or even at, at a sporting event, um, watching kids be successful. Yeah. But just seeing them do those that's things. That's why everyone got in this that's, profession, regardless of That's much of more what rewarding. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, those parts of the job, I was probably, my skill set probably makes me feel right. like I'm, I'm better at those. You feel competent in them. Yeah. Confident like, doing them. like I'm mm-hmm. confident that the, confident that the budget is correct, mm-hmm. that all of that is correct yeah. and that we won't exceed stuff. Although I will say the budget was probably the thing that made me lose the most sleep. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just trying to make sure that, you know. When I wasn't expecting that answer. When there's a big technology purchase, do we actually have the money? That right? Gotcha. I just always worried yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, just always worried because mm-hmm. it, it felt like it also feels like it's a huge unknown. Because as I'm sure you know, and and as you might be learning here in your first year as a superintendency, what the state estimates you have to start right. the year isn't necessarily what you right. have, right. and it can change. It can go up. It can go down. There right. are surprises around every corner yeah. that, that cost money. I fortunately came in in a year where what the state predicted is what you also put in your budget forecast for me. So, I mean, I, you create, so people don't, I don't think understand the budget is created in the spring by the budget committee and approved yeah. by the board. And you're the people, you're the person who kind of proposes to the budget yep. committee. What, and then I came in in July and inherit the budget that's already. Yep. And so my job isn't right now to budget, although I'm starting to take notes for next year, but it's to make sure I'm within the budget right. you've set yeah. for me in our spending, right. and that which is budget, an easier role probably yes. than setting the budget according well, to the state yeah, forecast. As, yeah, and people just don't understand that when you're budgeting, you know, the state estimates in last February how much money we were going to get this year, mm-hmm. but we won't know really how much money we had to spend this year until May of 2025, right. and right. then they'll tell us how much money we had to spend this year. <laughs> right. So to me, that's always... That's a big deal. Yeah. It's like, sure. Yeah. How, how would I feel if I, at home, oh, you'll know how much money like you had casino. in October. Yeah. yeah. You'll know how much money you had in October. We'll tell you that on December 15th and right. let's hope you didn't overspend. Right. Yeah. Or underspend. Right. Or, right. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so that's, and that's how that works. So yeah, I was just always tried to be really conservative about yeah. what, yep. what money we were going to have. Yeah. To... No, that, that, that makes sense. And so like, yeah, what I'm saying, how does that show up in your style? I guess. I didn't work with Steve and Steve doesn't work with me. You don't have to answer this question, but you know, the people who, I I think there's a stereotype that people who have lived in the humanities content areas, you know, as educators, I I could go into any department meeting at McMinnville high school and there was a distinct personality 
a distinct personality in the math department, a distinct one in the special education department, a distinct language arts was, I mean, shout out to all those language arts teachers. That was always, and any of them are listening will, will vouch for this. It was always some big philosophical, emotional debate happening. Whereas you go to the math meeting and it was like, yeah, <laughs> pretty, it was all linear. And <laughs> this is what we did last meeting. Mm-hmm. This is a new business. This is what we need to get done. Yeah. Check, check, yeah. check. Yeah. 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 Um, Steve, in your time in Dayton and you look back on it, what are some of the things you're most proud of? Yeah. Proud of the bond, the bond issue that we, you know, the things that we've managed to accomplish out of that bond. Uh, and I think getting all of those things for the community was awesome. You know, having lived in this community now mm-hmm. for 28 years, uh, it's, it's, it was great to, to be able to do those things right. and, to, and to finish almost everything on the bond list. Yeah. Um, is yeah. it everything perfect? No. Did everything turn out the way we wanted it to be? No. Are there things that maybe now I wouldn't have done the way they were done? That's yes. inevitable. Yes. With that yeah. big um, of a scope of but, a project. But also, I, I inherit, right? A lot of that work was done when I, when I got here. It was really the design work was done. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the, the budget was there. Really, it was just me carrying out the yeah, vision that was already there. Yeah, 2019 bond and you joined in 2020. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was just carrying out the vision that was already there mm-hmm. and then making those decisions about you know, where we're going to put money into this or that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but that, that was a big thing. Um, I think coming up with the strategic plan, getting us through mm-hmm. the pandemic, which was just uh, so unfortunate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think I, people know the extent of how hard that had to have been for a superintendent. That's what I was assuming you were going to say for losing sleep is the pandemic because there was so much into it. There was no manual for it. Yeah. There, there was no manual for it. And I don't, I don't, I didn't lose sleep over that. I lose sleep over things that I think are going to impact the future. Mm-hmm. And I guess the, the pandemic, the, the thing that it. I didn't like about the pandemic, you know, was the way, the way the, well, everybody responded to it, mm-hmm. right? The it, di- divisiveness. The, taking kids in. out of school, I mm-hmm. think, I think I thought it was wrong at the yeah. time. I I think it's turned out to be just a huge mistake yep. mm-hmm. taking kids out of school. Yep, I um, agree. And and the divisiveness, mm-hmm. right? It it's still there are things still today that the school district is being asked to do that I think are only cause divisiveness. And there are things that the legislature has passed laws on that people advocate for that are very very well meaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all they do is cause the district to, to get in in an adversarial role mm-hmm. with uh, with some members of the community. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's just not necessary. Right. The school districts, you know, educators care deeply about all of their students. You know, at 34 years in education, I can tell you they all care deeply about mm-hmm. their students. Um, and they want to meet everybody's needs. and Sometimes the state makes us do things that yep. we're like, you know, we do this anyway, and now you're trying to make this do in a way right. that our community Doesn't won't understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The community just won't understand why mm-hmm. it has to be done this way when nothing was wrong, mm-hmm. in, in, in stu- and we were meeting students' needs before. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes what happens when you don't have local control and everything's governed by the state or the feds is that our doing it on our end feels more like checking a box. And so even the intent of the legislation isn't met as well as we would have met it, even if, it, it, like you said, it wasn't passed because ultimately you're like, oh, shoot, I got to get this report in and this we have to do this. And now we have to put 
you know, personnel over here. And then all of a sudden something that was working becomes something that wasn't working because you're trying to fit mm-hmm. check boxes that don't fit for your. Yeah. Well, I can relate it back to what we were talking about at the start of the podcast where we only have so many staff. Yeah. And now we're having to allocate staff to something that was legislated to us. And like, wait, now we can't be yeah. doing this that was yeah. working well. Right. Or more important. More yeah. important than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. So you talked about um, that you feel like your legacy is maybe providing stability to Dayton. What do you feel like you're known for by the community and staff in Dayton? Hopefully it's for being um, calm, a, a, yeah. a nice person who, yeah. who appreciates everybody and who doesn't really, um, you know, I understand when we have differences of opinion and I don't, I try not to hold that against people. You and I, yeah. I know, you know, as, as a superintendent um, and even as a teacher or a, a building administrator, um, you know, parents will come in and advocate for their child. And, and honestly, I appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and, the alternative. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The kids I worry about the most are the kids mm-hmm. whose parents I never hear from. Yep. As I wonder about who's advocating for those right. kids, who's advocating for their, their welfare. Mm-hmm. And so that then we, as a, then we as a school have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so not holding, you know, not holding any grudges, just mm-hmm. understanding that, that kind of yeah, it, mm-hmm. it was a, this is a difference of opinion that somebody advocating for their child, like I would advocate for my child. You know, yep. I raised two, two, we raised two kids in, in the district and certainly advocated for them from time to time. Mm-hmm. And just understanding it's just a difference of opinion, a different yeah. way of doing things. And, and I, you know, I just, I really wish that education, that the community and the schools would get back to seeing it as a partnership Amen. to educate our students mm-hmm. yep. and not understand that we are not, not the their adversary yeah. and and some of the things that we do are because the state mandates that we do it mm-hmm. and it's not that we didn't do it before right but maybe we did it differently yep and uh, we don't necessarily want to do it the way the yeah. state is making us do it but let's yep let's come together and and figure out how to both do it in a way that right. fits Dayton and uh, satisfies uh, the state at the same time. I would also add that um, I think it's hard for people who aren't inside the field of education to understand all the things that have been put on the plate of the field of education. Like public schools are tasked with not only just teaching anymore, but nutrition, you know, raising kids to be, you know, behaved. Uh, it just the list is so exhaustive as compared to maybe what the education, the purpose of education was 30 years ago that, um, you know, our teachers are working so hard. Our staff are working so hard. The amount of plates that they're required to spin every day has become exponentially greater over the past handful of decades. Um, and so it's not that they're working, not working hard or not working smart. It's just that there's so much dumped on the list that education is supposed to tackle mm-hmm. that it's, you know, it's impossible sometimes what everyone thinks should happen for their child. Everyone wants also to make that happen. And yet, you know, we have ODE reports. (laughs) Yeah. There's ODE reports to be done. Yeah. In fact, I remember somewhere over my career, I, uh, over the years, I've seen different charts that show kind of what expectations were of schools, say in the 1950s and then just the layers. And and when you see the list of what's expected now and compare it to that, it's right. It's amazing. It is. It's how many things have been added mm-hmm. yep. to the schools. Yep. 
to yep. do it. And I, you know, I'll see social media posts every once in a while, you know, that say that schools should teach this. I'm like, well, what are parents <laughs> yeah, supposed to teach? Yeah, there was a the, time when, when a lot yeah, of that how was, to change a tire. Yeah. Well, when where are we going to fit you, that in there? Your dad or your mom taught <laughs> mm-hmm. you how to change a tire. Why, why does the school need to right, teach you that? Right. Yeah. And, and that will come, there's only so many days in the school year and so many school years in the kids, uh, you know, schooling that if we fit all these things in, what we're doing is watering down all of it. Right. Like, give us the discretion to determine what our students need the most. Yeah, we're increasing the breadth, but we're not increasing the depth at all. Yeah, exactly. It's unfortunate for our kids. Yeah. What would you say Dayton's known for? I think the easy thing is athletics, but Mm -hmm. but most importantly, Dayton is known as a caring community. When I was out working in different districts and tell people that I had experience in Dayton, everybody seemed to know about Dayton Mm -hmm. and, and, and... you know, and yes, the the football program and, and Dewey, of course, and, you know, and just the, the success. But people knew about Dayton as a quality school district mm-hmm. yep. um, and as a quality community that cares about each other yep. and, and our students especially. There's a part of being here. And even when I drive in from McMinnville every morning, I feel this like shift that kind of what you picture in a town with solid values that comes together and all has this hard work ethic, just this like kind of the, you know, what you think when you think of Americana, kind of mm-hmm. small town America. I, there's, there's definitely um, its own unique culture that is centered on pride and tradition and service and yeah. deep care for yes. one another. Tradition I, matters yeah. a great yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah. And it's cool. I, I say that with all the utmost respect and excitement. About and, it, and it mm-hmm. still is a community. Yep. I, you know, just driving into town today, past the park down there, you know, just the the, the lights and yeah, yeah, it still is very much that mm-hmm. Americana yeah. that that you talk about, and yeah. it's it's to me it's just great. And when when we moved here in '95, it was definitely a place we wanted to raise mm-hmm. our kids. Yeah, and just so happy that we that we did. Yeah, I, I see that tradition all the way coming into town. You've got the courthouse square park. You've got the the Jill Palmer house. You've got the um you've got all that stuff of the history of Dayton right mm-hmm. there, right on display right as you come in. So that kind of puts you in the mood of this is our community. Yeah. This is what we're about. Yeah. Established. Yeah. Blockhouse. Yeah. Blockhouse. blockhouse. There you go. Yeah. Oh <laughs> I couldn't think of it either, John. I was trying <laughs> I to help you out. I was like, no, nope, that's not coming to mind. Yeah. Um, Steve, while we're ending today, let's think about hope. Uh, what gives you hope for education? What gives you hope for Dayton community? I, I, I think, you know, what gives me hope is just that, I know people are, are basically good people. You know, I know that we all uh, watch the news and social media and, you know, and, and we, can, we can be afraid of each other because of those things. But I know, you know, in, in my almost 60 years on, on, on earth and my almost 30 years here in Dayton that, that people are good people. Yeah. There's, I have run into very few people I needed to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, you know, I'm an optimistic person, and I think that I think that that's that that will continue to be it. I think that people will 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 get through this. I think that mm-hmm. the pandemic is, you know, in the rearview mirror. You know, the politics of the world, mm-hmm. what's going on in the world. We just have to remember that the vast majority of people are just really good people who will help you yep. whenever you need it, and don't buy into all the social media stuff and the stuff you see on the nightly news. I mean, yeah, that stuff's happening. But that's happening to a very minority of the population. It almost seems and, like since Dayton's been able to maintain 
this unique culture as a town that if anyone can do things differently than the rest of society, is it could be Dayton. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. they've been able to preserve their unique way of coming yeah. together as a community when others haven't. So it, yeah. it'd be cool to see Dayton lead, you know, the rest of yeah. Oregon, especially in, in yeah, coming not, together. We don't have to follow along yeah. with all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, I, but I, it's just people are, are basically good people. I think that's the advice you gave me when I reached out to you once with some mentoring around an issue. I think you said everyone's just doing their best. Everyone means well. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's it too, right? Mm-hmm. People mean well. Yeah. What are they, you know, whether they're on one side of the issue or the other, they're trying to get what they think is the best outcome. Mm-hmm. You might just see it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to say while you've got the mic to anyone who might be listening? Um, just, you know, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me yeah. and giving me this opportunity and uh, hope to see people around. And, you know, I'll continue to volunteer for things that, around the district and around the community and hope mm-hmm. to see people. I'll and be calling you with some budget questions. Wish everybody <laughs> happy holidays, Merry Christmas, yeah, exactly. whatever, whatever, whatever else they, they yeah. wish to have. Yeah. Awesome. Well, That's thanks awesome. for being here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Buried Treasure, a Dayton Pirate Podcast. Join us next time as we interview more friends of the Dayton School District.